You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. You're with Reality Check Radio. My first guest this morning is writer, broadcaster, social and political commentator and landlady of the Katie's Arms, Katie Hopkins. Welcome to Counterculture. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning and thank you so much uh, for having me on and uh, also for mentioning our online pub, the Katie's Arms, that I am the landlady of. I know. I love the Katie's Arms. It's sort of my little bit of, oh, oh it's so lovely. Because but when you do it, by the time I get to watch it the next morning, it's like a little guilty pleasure. It's like, oh, what have they been up to in the Katie's arms? So people is, talk of it that way. So so just to explain for people who aren't part of Katie's arms, when uh, we were all locked down to death, you know, I started the pub where everyone could come together and it's called the Katie's Arms. It's on Instagram Live. And people dive on. And really, essentially, as you will know, it's mostly just laughing really at me, me laughing at me or other people laughing at me. And we all sit down like we would in a pub and we all have a drink together and we all forget anything about pretending or anything about pretending to be perfect or pretending to have done things the right way. And we just have a giggle. And and you're right. And what so many people are saying is... Um, you know, they, they, it's their guilty pleasure because it's a moment of just having a laugh like we used to. Your cat arms was one of those wonderful places that just allowed you to say those naughty things that you didn't think you could say out loud, but you could say it there. Yeah, it, it's been joyous. Um, and what I love most about it is when I start off and then everyone comes in and says hi. You know, and then it's high from here, high from California, high from uh, South America. And it's so lovely to see our network. You know, I imagine it with lights over a world map. We are literally everywhere. And it's a glorious thing. It is a glorious thing. You'll laugh. I thought today I'll do my due diligence because, of course, I'm appreciating your work from the stuff you've done across lockdown, the Katie's arms. I love just your I've got something to tell the world. So I'm going to go tell them now for five minutes. (laughs) <laughs> and it just makes me smile. But I thought, oh, I better do but do your due diligence, Marie. I looked at your Wikipedia for the first time today. Oh, my Lord, never look at the Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is the funny. You I did not admit- realise I was such a monster, did you? Well, you never knew uh, I was such a I literally had to write here, you must have a shit kicker of a lawyer that's on retainer, the start. <laughs> they, they obviously don't allow you to edit this because it's lots, no. lots of fun. Crikey. My favourite part, though, was getting deported from Australia. <laughs> I thought we so were supposed fun- to be importing people there. What, what were they doing deporting you? There's some funny things. Like, so, you know, Wikipedia. So when people like, say, Katie Hopkins, and, and, you know, maybe have no idea, you know, who I am. I'm not that I'm anyone, but just don't know my name. So the first thing people do will be go to Wiki. And, of course, if you go to Wikipedia and you read my entry, you're like, holy dooly, I'm taking on literally Satan. This woman is the walking epitome of evil. My Wikipedia entry is about 850 pages long. That's the other thing. It's like an encyclopedia. Like, who is going to Who are these people? What are they doing? What are they, do they not have a hobby? Do they not have a life? I mean, seriously. And then also the difference in the rules. Like, if you're someone super famous and powerful and on the left, you can control Wikipedia and they write nice things. If you're me, they just basically, you know, vomit all, all over your life. But but to your point, yes, I was deported and banned from Australia and fined a thousand dollars 
for the crime of speaking out against lockdown online. So I was deported for speech. You horrid thing. <sighs> but I hate to say it, we probably would have done the same thing to you here, dare I, would I say. Have. You would yeah. have for sure. Yeah. yeah. New Zealand was dark. Oh, we were very dark. We were very, very dark. When I reflect now, it's the, funny, the COVID years, I don't know whether you have this in the UK. What I certainly have is, you know, when you reminisce back and you think, oh, we did this. I did this a couple of years ago because I've totally blanked out COVID and all the lockdowns. It's like childbirth. It didn't exist. It didn't happen. I, it's a mental black hole because it was so horrid. It's... <laughs> It's so true. And no one ever tells you that. No one ever tells you. That's the thing about childbirth is no one is honest with you. I mean, that's what really that's what really bugged me. You're surrounded by all these like midwife types or these, you're supposed to go to these ridiculous classes where people go, ooh, 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 you're supposed to breathe a bit. And the reality of it is that, you know, someone takes a sledgehammer to your you know pelvic region. We don't need to go there. But it's quite different to what you get prepared for. You are not prepared for what's about to come at you, right? Oh, it's no. Lie. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And see, I'm in the menopause now, and they lie about that too, just like childbirth. <laughs> I tell you what. And then you think to yourself, I should write a book about this, but there's a million books about them, and they're all lying, so I don't, I don't bother. No, I did have a little chuckle about the fact that you did um, get thrown out of, you know, the West Island. Oh, so, uh, so that was... Well, I was, I was in Nashville, so I was doing stand-up in Nashville when... We got the news, or I got the news, that Jacinda Ardern had just stepped down. And mm. I did this little video. We must find it, actually. And I, it was basically speeded up me running around the hotel corridors in Nashville celebrating that uh, Jacinda Ardern was going. And everyone was like, that's how we all feel. That is exactly how we feel. Yeah, it was oh, so fun. It was it was crazy. I was actually um, on a cruise, would you believe, on a cruise ship. And it was the first wow. holiday that um, we'd had since COVID had started. So it was just very exciting. And we were sitting, uh, having a bit of lunch with American friends, and we could hear this hopping and hollering out in the corridor. And this was going up to the Pacific Islands. So there was a good number of Kiwis on board. And we were kind of looking at each other. And then my phone was on the table, and it just started. I thought it was going to dance a little jig and dive off the table. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And I turned the phone over, looked into it, and I everyone was texting me, and the, all the notifications were lighting up that she had gone. And just literally as I looked at it, and I said to my husband, oh, Jacinta's resigned. Just as I said that, out in the corridor, I heard this man go, ding dong, the witch is gone. From over, I guess from over here, looking to New Zealand, there was always this idea about New Zealand. And it, it was partly true of Australia for us. Like Australia always had that kind of, um, the idea of it was all these guys who were super laid back and mostly wore uh, flip-flops or thongs or whatever you call them. And they were outdoorsy. And if there was anything you could say, you could say it in Australia. And then there's this idea that we had, I think, British people generalising, but like New Zealand, oh, the land of hills and rolling countryside and people being free because they just live, you know, in a grief, sort of grassy, leafy place. This idea we had. And then along comes, you know, Dan Andrews in Melbourne, oh. or we had like Jacinda. And it completely crucified like our notions of what you guys were about. And I'm not talking about you, obviously, and our good people. I'm talking about the country. You know, it changed how we thought 
those countries were supposed to be the free countries. And then we were like, are they anymore? What's going on? Mm. Yeah. It changed the way we thought of it too. So it was pretty crazy, but, and things aren't quite right yet, but that's okay. This year is an election year. So we're all good. Mind you, you've been a bit topsy-turvy over there. I mean, are you going to hold on to this prime minister for a while? We're at least five minutes. <laughs> we have got through prime ministers. We've got through prime ministers faster than we get through toilet paper here in this house, which I can tell you is pretty fast because I've got three teenage kids and it's just crazy. But yeah, well, Rishi Sunak is uh, hugely disappointing, but he's perfect for uh, the overlords. So if you think about the little cookie cutter leaders, so that would be Macron, little tiny guy. Um, then you think about Rishi Sunak, little tiny guy, four foot six, I think. And then you think about Trudeau, absolutely one of their puppets. And the list goes on and on, Zelensky and all the rest. He is exactly that. Rishi Sunak is the perfect um, little puppet. He's very quiet. He causes no headlines. He has no opinions on anything. He just turns up and smiles a lot in very short trousers. He's in the in that sense as inoffensive as it's possible to be. And that seems to be exactly what the global leaders want. You know, the global masters don't want this kind of very bombastic Boris all about Britain and here's a union flag. They want vanilla. They want blend into background. They want someone you don't even know, you know, invisible Sunak. I mean, are people missing Boris now that they've got, you know, Mr. Vanilla Sunak? I think there's some sense of missing Boris, certainly in the conservative heartlands, it would be that they want Boris back. But I think an increasing number, and some of that's probably swayed by my own perception or that I choose to believe this, but so many people are so disillusioned with the political class after lockdown and after what's been done to us all, that I think most, many, many people are, would never vote again. It wouldn't surprise me mm. if the numbers appear until we're given decent options politically. I don't see that people in the UK right now have anybody to vote for. And I would say at least 60, 50, 60 million people in the UK don't have a political voice under the system we have, which is first past the post. Yeah, we see we've got mixed member proportionals. So we do have at least an opportunity to mix things up at the moment. Yes. But the current bunch, and I mean, all of them, we've got currently five parties in Parliament. Um, yeah, I wouldn't give you five minutes for any of them. So no. we're certainly finding that here. So then you've got that sort of mood of a nation coronation mm. coming up. Will that spark people up, make Britons feel a little bit cheery, get on the union jacks, dust off the, the button shirts and you know? Yeah, I, I think so. For, for I mean, there's obviously the noisy, angry ones who monopolise the lefty press, which are like, we don't agree with the monarchy. He's not my king. There'll be protests. Radi, radi, radi. But on the day itself, you know, Britain loves a bit of pomp. Uh, we do pomp and pageantry brilliantly. And um, so sorry that we don't have our queen anymore. But it, in fairness, the queen's funeral was probably one of those days where decent, ordinary Brits um, with no links to anything to do with the monarchy, really, other than they were brought up like I was. At three o'clock on Christmas Day, you sit down and you listen to the Queen's speech and no one talks and no one moves, even though mum and dad snore through it. That, that day of the Queen's funeral was epic in terms of Britishness. And the reason people loved it so much and the thing no one was allowed to articulate was because our new arrivals and recent arrivals and people from other cultures didn't turn up for the funeral because it wasn't part of their culture, it meant that for one brief moment in time, London looked 
as it used to back in the, I don't know, 70s, 80s. It looked, it was a glimpse back in time as the Queen was brought through the streets. London it was, was how it used to be. Yeah. It was nostalgic in, in spades. And the other thing about that nostalgia is it isn't just mm, a feeling or a sentiment. It's real in the sense that everybody was there to help everybody. There was a gentleman who was struggling a bit because he'd been walking a long time. A crowd rushed in to help him. You know, someone was unwell. A crowd rushed in to help. Everyone picked up after themselves. Everyone left things clean and tidy. It was old. It was old fashioned in the sense of a time when we all used to be a little bit nicer. You know what mm. I mean? Um, and that's what that was about. So I'm hoping we'll see some of that on uh, the King's coronation as well. That would be fantastic. And for him too, it's. I mean, he's waited a long time. Oh my goodness, has he ever? Yeah, he has waited a long time, but that. One of the things that I think is wonderful about the coronation is even, I mean, look, I'm not, am I particularly enamoured with Prince Charles? Not especially, but he hasn't really had an opportunity to shine. And it's, as you said, it's that pageantry and it's a chance to actually celebrate your Britishness. And for us in the nether regions, it's a chance for us to celebrate being part of this greater Commonwealth, you know, which is part of our culture as well yes. and, and our legacy and our story. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. Yes, exactly. So true. You know what's so true. And it's something that we need to be, all of it, I'm talking about myself, we needed to be reminded of on a daily basis is it's so easy to find the negative. It is the hmm. easiest thing in the world. It's like stepping out your front door to find a negative. I can find a negative in myself in an instant. I can find a negative in my day, or I can find a negative about a story or, oh, well, King Charles, well, I'm not that bothered by the monarchy. And well, you know, he might be a wef, a wef guy. He talks about the climate a lot. I'm not into that. But the thing is, it's so much better to try and find the positive, like many people will have a glorious day waving their union flags. Our military do nothing, that, that there's nothing they do better than dust off some thick woolen uniform when it's 95 degrees in the sunshine and parade about. And they get to be proud of being in the British forces that day. Great, you know, let's find the darned positives because we need to find them. And we have yeah. to make endeavours, the same endeavours we use to call out the bad stuff, we have to make endeavours to find the good stuff. And that, that's really my commitment. And that's really what I'm about, I guess, these days is, you know, helping to sort of rally and lift up our side after a time of real darkness. So how do you think Hez is going to get on? I mean, where, it's going to be a bit like seating that really naughty uncle at a wedding, isn't it? I mean, where do they put yeah. him? Yeah, it's a nightmare. Mm. Like, it's a nightmare. The, the seating plan must be a nightmare. Who they're not inviting is a nightmare like um, Andrew disgraced Andrew, his wife, Fergie, who's like everyone thinks is a good egg and she's quite fun. She's not even invited because they were divorced once, even though she was mates, she's still mates with him. I think Biden's not coming. Jill Biden is coming. It's a very complicated, they've got Harry coming, haven't they? But not Meghan. And Harry doesn't speak to William and blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's just, it is the, it's the wedding from hell. The wedding. I know. Couldn't you just imagine them in Clarence House sitting there trying to figure that out? It would be, oh. But yeah, I think more, more of us will be looking at, you know, Camilla 
like from being, I mean, I say this as someone that was described as the most hated woman in Britain was my uh, title for a while there. Camilla had that title too, you know, for the longest time. And she's really, she's really grown on people like my mother, who, who genuinely likes the royals and loves it all and has been to the palace once for a Women's Institute Kate something. Um, you know, mother will say, well, I think Camilla's doing a, a marvellous job, which I think is a good sign mm. of how Camilla has really grown in the nation's affections because she's a workhorse. You know, yes. she gets on and she rolls up her little sleeves and she's jolly all over the place. Yeah, she typifies that sort of stiff upper lip British pragmatism, doesn't she? Yeah. She's great. She's great. And like when the whole Meghan, Harry, William thing was kicking off, but Meghan was pregnant, she was like, oh, well, listen, we're getting a baby and a baby is always great news. You know, she's that kind mm. of person. Find the darn positive and talk about that a lot. Yeah, she's good news. So you talked about your stand-up gigs that you're doing. This is the Live, Laugh, uh, yeah. Live, Laugh, Love. Ooh, yes. That's some alliteration for you. I know. <laughs> well, with someone like me, it's really important to call it something that says um, I'm not a Nazi uh, because the idea <laughs> of everybody that's trying to stop me all the time, despite this just being a funny thing, is is that I'm going to be in some way a Nazi. So even if I was calling it right, like um, right on humour or this is really right funny, people would be like, ah, oh, right, far right, Nazi. She's going to, yeah. It, so literally you have to call it something as innocuous as you can, which is what I did. But I will just mention for your lovely listeners, because um, I suspect it's happening where you are. I know it's happening in America and elsewhere. Apart from the um, public stand-up events in theatres, the ones that haven't cancelled, there is in the UK right now an underground speakeasy network going on. And all the people that kept meeting during lockdown secretly in cafes, above shops, uh, underneath restaurants, they've kept meeting. And so once or twice a week now, I'm out at these underground speakeasies, just as in the days of prohibition, but it's no longer alcohol, it's speech. And the glorious thing is I go along and it's a mixture of, of free talk and it's a mixture of stand up and it's funny and it's great and and, and that is what gives me enormous hope, is that this resistance, not in a military sense, is really, really out there. Like this network is big. And, and to give you an example, if anybody else works in the ticket business or, you know, selling tickets. So we just did a, a underground speakeasy in Bournemouth, 300 people. We didn't even, no one knew wow. about it. It was never talked of. No one advertised it. There was 300 people in the room. And that's what this network is. It is powerful. It's super connected and it's not public. And that's going on right now in the UK. It's very, this is an exciting time to be alive for yeah. sure. Well, no, you're right. There is these secret networks and we're seeing it since uh, this radio station has started. You know, of people are coming yes. out and reaching out and they're saying, finally, you know, we, we're hearing our own voices reflected back. Yes. And we had this dreadful apartheid vaccine passport system. Yeah. That was just truly hideous. But it was interesting. It was what that did create is that you got very, very good at creating your own networks and creating your own fun. We, again, all of these people are still meeting and we had a very large cyclone here in February. I don't know whether you're aware, but it was it was pretty, pretty epic. And the town I live in was one of the ones most greatly affected. And as a city, an entire city, 75,000 people, we were out of power for a week, min minimum. Oh, golly. Yeah. And 
quite amazing how a lot of people aren't resilient to last that length of time with our yes. power. And we had our network of people, like-minded people, a lot of which are our neighbours and live up and down our street. And we were those ones that were, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink um, during lockdown time. And <laughs> yeah. And it was incredible because this disaster happened and we were already created this resilience around mm -hmm. that time during COVID. And when it happened, we all got together. Some of them a bit preppy. They had generators. We were, you know, we were sharing out extension leads to everybody. We were making yes. sure everyone was taken care of. And it was just, right, let's just get on with it. And we had that network of people there because we didn't cut ourselves off from our neighbours when we were yeah. told to. We actually had those quiet, secret little chats over the back fence, even though Jacinda told us we couldn't, you know. <laughs> I just love it. That And that is so that is so important. And what is so important is that other people realise we're here and other people realise that your audience are, realise you're there. And that's why, you know, to your listeners, if you have a thought or even a suspicion <laughs> that someone in your neighbourhood is one of us, it's a great idea to just, even if you just drop it through that little letterbox with, you know, what you, your show and how people can listen to you, it's a great way of just making sure if you bring one person, we're not, trying to convert anyone. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about allowing someone else to realize they're not on their own. And that's why what you're doing is so important. And these networks that we built during lockdown, when we realized, actually, no one's going to come help us. In fact, we may have to survive outside of the standard networks of government because we don't necessarily trust the government anymore. It, that's my personal view. And those are so strong. And what you're talking about is this resilience that we now have in depth in our networks. And because we actively choose to belong to those networks, that's in they matter to us, they're tremendously powerful. And when I see these underground speakeasies come together, the people walk into that room, you can literally see, like almost colors, the the their shoulders drop, their little, they almost like their little heads lift up and they know they're with their family. And they know that this is their space where they look like they're with their family and and they can just, they turn up and they feel like they're at home. And in every town, uh, I've been in a, above an underwear shop talking to a hundred people and I'm always asked the same question. Is it, is it just us? Is there just us? And it's such a pleasure and a privilege to say, no, no, no. You're in every town. You're in every city. And guess what? You know, you're in America. You're in New Zealand. You're in Australia. You know, our family right now is, is epic in size. Uh, this is a, this is, you're doing something really important. I know that for certain. This is Counterculture with Marie. I'm with Katie Hopkins. Live, Laugh, Love is the tour that you're doing. But some of these main venues have actually been cancelling you. Surely now that you are, as you said, with this underground network, are these venues cutting off their noses to spite their faces? I mean, I think, didn't I hear that you had an inflation number that just got released was it today it's like 10.2 percent yeah. or something surely they'd be wanting to get any scrap of yeah. business through the door yeah it's it's wild so so inflation 10.2 uh food inflation 19.4 and really probably wow. feels like 30 percent inflation because of other things fuel underground speakeasies will always hold firm because those venues are the venues that just refuse to do what they were told but when I now moved to public, and bear in mind, for five years, I was not allowed to speak in the UK as my Wikipedia page uh, 
gives a, a testament to. I was basically seen as, you know, walking evil. So five years later, I start these shows and theatres want them because I can sell out. But they get got at, as you know, we know, by the uh, very uh, mouthy minority who have things like, we represent the trans community, we represent the whatever community. And I, of course, I have nothing against anyone, um, but they cancel. So an example would be Stafford, a glorious theatre in Stafford, 500 seats, sold out in 24 hours, um, you know, 25 pounds a ticket so like 30 dollars a ticket not not cheap uh and they just cancelled so they you know that's 10,000 pounds worth of sales they just walked away from because they're scared of the woke mob still and they didn't even call me to tell me actually I got I found out from someone else who had their ticket money returned to them so yes I am still being cancelled today five years later after all the hoo-ha around me um from venues because they're terrified of the woke and what the woke can now do. This is what I find interesting though, because you're now doing these underground venues. So, yeah. I mean, you've been canceled with a capital C. I've only been canceled with a little C. Yeah. It loses its power. Like they, it's almost like a joker card. They can only really play that card once. And once yeah. they've played it, you, in a way, I think it sets you free. And I think it's, it certainly seemed to have set you free. I mean, you have a, a lightness about what you're doing you've ever had before. Do you feel that way? Do you feel much happier now doing what you're doing than what you did, say, five years ago? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, I don't regret anything. I don't, um, I don't retract anything. I don't apologize for anything. I mean everything I said. Um, but what I get to do now after seeing after seeing lockdown, and I believe lockdown was, is a mass injury event. And I believe people are the walking wounded. They're all carrying these injuries and people have tears that they carry around with them like a massive water bottle just behind their eyes. And I realized that I couldn't continue to just be talking about what I see happening as in the overthrow of our of our country by a different uh, demographic, um, the fact we will be taken over by Islam, all the rest of it. I had to do something that also helped lift our side because the darkness is too easy to talk of. And so, yes, it's been lockdown and all of the rest of it. Not only has it been so tremendous for strengthening a network that has more resilience than anything I've ever seen. It's also been very selfishly. It's been like a, a renovation for myself. Like, so people have done a 180. So loads of people will say, I hate this. I used to hate this woman. And now she's the first place I go. Um, so it's been really a, a massive opportunity for me to help bring our side together, to keep reminding people that we're on the right side of this. And we don't have to agree. Uh, we don't have to like each other all the time. Uh, we can disagree over stuff and that's fine, but we will get through this. And it is so freeing, you know, because I've been, I've had my home taken. I've I had every job I had taken. I've been banned from Australia. I've been banned from South Africa. I'm banned from schools in Wales. You know, a couple of jihadis came from my head. Stuff, stuff has gone on in my life and it's meant that I'm so free. There's nothing anyone can do to stop me. So even if I lose a venue and I lose, you know, some income and whatever, and I, my heart is always with the 500 people who bought tickets to come see me. And what they've done is they found another venue on a farm and we're going ahead just in a different venue. Mm. And that's what I'm, that's the resilience of our side. They're saying, they're saying, no, we're not going to let you be cancelled. We're going to find a space. And, uh, and I'm just really proud of everybody for, and, you know, being part of this, as I see it, I'm the least in person, 
least important person on there, even though I'm on the stage, it's the audience that's the that's the beating heart of what I think you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do. It's the people in our network that's the real that are really making this happen. Do you think we've lost the ability to laugh at ourselves? Yeah. You know, and that's what worries me with the kids. Like, like if I have one message with my three kids, it's, I said it to my son when he left, have a great day, find the fun, find the fun, find the funny. You know, if my kids were to get into trouble to do because they were doing something funny, I'd be the proudest thing. My biggest fear is that gift of just laughing or doing something a bit naughty because it made you giggle or showing yourself up a bit because it made someone else have a laugh. You know, the days of being a slightly the clown so that someone else would go, that's a funny thing without it being videoed and then played back out of context or whatever, you know, that. And that's why I guess me being the clown or me being laughed at or laughing at myself and my varicose veins and my dastardly moustache that's growing all the time and all the rest of it you know it's part of that that idea that all these blooming women on instagram or whatever pretending to be perfect wearing shapewear and cream or fawn covered clothing you know i'll get over yourself you know i have to hair dry my own crotch sometimes just to dry it out you know let's just (laughs) put it out there I'm not asking you to, you know, indulge in that. I'm just sharing that that went on. It's that, yeah. And it's not about just sort of being crass, although that's part of it. It is, um, it's just being really, really like, so what? So what if you don't think I'm, you know, that attractive? So what? Yeah. And it's also to the hairdresser. I mean, everybody is so offended by everything these days. So just so you know, I've self-appointed myself the uh, president of the New Zealand Chumbawamba Society at the Katie's Arms. Yes, Chumbawamba. Okay, so you did this documentary, what was it, 2010, I think? It was... It was my fat story. I've been labelled many things from my fan club, and one of the things they get angry at me for is... The fact that I'm quite unashamed about the fact that I'm fat, but I don't allow there to be any excuses for it. So they say, oh, you, you're not helping um, other people mm. of size and, and, and you're fat shaming them. No, I'm not. I Look, I'm the size that I am. I'm quite comfortable in the size that I am. I know yep. if I stop shoving stuff in the cake hole and stop drinking too much Chardonnay and actually got moving a wee bit more, a few more dog walks with the I bulldog, I would probably lose a few more pounds, but I choose not to. Yes, but exactly. That, that, but sometimes that changes. I have, you have measurements. For me, yeah. it's that aeroplane seat. If I oh. can't get my lard ass in that seat and that seat belt over, oh, girly girl, it's time to, you know, you need to, to put some changes into place. And one does that and you feel better for it. And you say to yourself, oh, I should have done this all along. I'm responsible for that. No one else yeah. is responsible. And it's that, like and self-responsibility has gone out the window, isn't it? Yes, I think that's it. And just to sort of preface for people, so I am, um, I do you guys do kilograms or do you do pounds? We're metric, pounds. we're kilos. Kilos. So, yes, I did. So what was I? I was like, um, I was about nine stone. So either way, I put on half my body weight, like four stone on in um, – I guess how how long did I take? Three months on, three months off. So I went from being skinny winny to morbidly obese and then back again three months on, three months off. And the idea was this idea of making people accountable for how we live. And people say to me, Oh, well, I'm fat, Katie, so you wouldn't like me. Or I'm fat, so she'll probably hate me. And I'm like, that is not the message at all that I was trying to send. It's like you be you be what you want to be. Like, and I say this to anybody in any walk of life, you know, if you want to be trans, brilliant. Just don't ask me to believe the same thing 
that you believe, but I want you to live your best life and be the best you can be. Mm. And I say the same with Chumbawambas. You want to be a Chumbawamba, be one. That's perfect. Just don't ask me to pay for it. Or I don't expect me to give you excuses because I won't. People are coming at you. It's kind of crazy because they're saying, well, you're, you know, you're letting us down. Well, I'm not sure that you would have ever appointed yourself as a spokesperson for the fat community, right? You were only no. ever just doing you. I yeah. mean, there's a, uh, a fat influencer. I mean, as if there is such a thing. But anywho, a fat influencer in Canada at the moment that is um, all up in arms because she is petitioning airlines to oh, I know allow, the one. Have, yeah, to allow airlines to make sure that you get an extra seat and i'm just like no <laughs> no <laughs> yeah that's a no that's a no and you know that would be that would be it doesn't have to be fat does it it would be like you know if you were really really smelly let's just say you were averse to showering and you you know you just like to be really smelly it's the equivalent of saying well everyone else has to wear a gas mask because i'm smelly no no it sits with you yeah. And if you and if you're a big girl and you need two seats, no drama. You buy your seats, no drama. I mean, it, it annoys me. I always, I and I, I absolutely believe this. I'm, I'm economist by background, but I believe we should have a weigh in at check in, and you stand on there with all your stuff, your case, your whatever, and you pay for your total mass, what you, your luggage, everything, and then everyone pays. It's the same for everyone. And I, I mean, I can see people saying, yeah, but I'm a rugby player. So blah, blah, blah. But I have to pay for my piddly little suitcase when I check it. What is it? 15 kilos I have to pay for. So it kind of annoys me that I have to pay for my suitcase when a chumbawamba carrying their own ass on doesn't have to pay for their ass. But, you know, that's this is the world. The world isn't fair, as I tell my children. <laughs> no, no, the world is most certainly not fair. Actually, I had to went on one of those little float planes once, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and they do they weigh you on those oh, little planes. Brutal. It was the last time I was on a set of scales, and he said, "Oh, you know how?" Because he asked me, "How much do I weigh?" And I said, "I I don't get on scales." No, no, no. Because I, don't I have I have this perfect vision in my head of what I think I am. <laughs> I have created this this wonderful illusion. I don't need reality to come crashing on that and no. on this. So no. 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 And also scales scales aren't the way. You know, no. I think many many women are used, and people can say, well Katie, it's already well for you, you're skinny Jimmy. But but I think scales and I speak to women about this, you know, and, and guys too, but scales can set people's day. So like some, I know women who sleep with the scales next to their bed so that before they put their foot on the carpet, they step on the scale so that they get the number they want so that they feel better about themselves. And I think, oh, that's horrible, right? Before you even start your day, you, you're dictated by this number. No, I don't want that for anybody. Or then some people have to have a wee first. Some people don't do it until they've cleaned their teeth because they think that will make them lighter. I mean, that's not that's not good. No one should have their day dictated to by how they think they're going to be seen. That's silly. Where do you think you get your tenacity from? Um, I can't kind of stop it. So there's been times for sure when I have you know, laid down and thought, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. You know, my idea of speaking truth, keep speaking truth, even if it costs me, and then it costs me some more. And then maybe I'm humiliated. So I was tricked into receiving a horrible award and that was videoed uh, 
I won't say the name of the award because it's a word I don't use, but I was basically tricked and made an extreme fool of. And that video was watched by, I think, 12 million people. And there's been times, and I'm certain I brought that humiliation on myself, but they, whatever trickery was used, that's okay. And there's definitely been times I've thought, I can't, I cannot go on. And um, and then somehow something kicks in. Usually just one sweet person says something that's so, so right at that moment. And it just makes me walk on. And And I've been so lucky that now, having walked this path for 20 years or so, and just keep getting back up, I've been so lucky that now I'm walking on a really light path that is you know, there's so many people with us and with me and so, so people are so enormously kind, supportive. Um, so it's been such a glorious, I've been very privileged to have this, whatever this role is I have, I'm so privileged. And then uh, I used to be very epileptic. So my seizures were massive. And they said at 38, uh, that within two years, one of my seizures would be, that would be it. You know, a seizure would get me in the end, like seizures always do. So I was, 40 was always kind of an, an idea of an age. And then I hit 40 and I'm 48 now because I, I had major surgery and it cured, had major surgery at about 39, I think a year after the seizures should have got me. And then... Um, I, I'm seizure free. So in addition to having things taken like my home, my savings, my bank, my right to travel and stuff, I, I got this extra time. And so it meant that um, I am walking on extra time every day. And it means you're even more unstoppable because it doesn't even matter when the end comes because it was supposed to have come already. So, so I've been really lucky and I truly, truly believe that our path is already set. And I believe that if you, the freer you can make yourself, the more your path becomes clear. And so often, as you'll know, I'm sure, and other of your listeners, whether you're religious or not, things happen just at a moment when you really needed them to. And I'm like, you know, I believe that there's something much bigger that we walk towards. So that's what that's what keeps me going. Uh, mostly just great people. And then the story today, sorry, I will stop talking in a second, but the story today, Charlotte Wright, the, the wife of a husband who was killed by the vaccine, she his death certificate said natural causes, and she knew, and she fought and she fought and she fought, and yesterday the coroner ruled uh, that his death was by the AstraZeneca vaccine. And I think of women like that, who she was pregnant when he died, she's had two years to fight this. She said, and I'm just going to quote it, even with people in my life, there were questions and queries about whether I was telling the truth. So for two years later, I can finally say it's the truth. So to your earlier point about the divisiveness, even people close to her refused to accept that her husband was killed by the vaccine. And she's fought this. And she's now the woman who made a coroner state that it was AstraZeneca that killed her husband. So, you know, anytime we're feeling like, oh, golly, this is tough. Women out there are doing things that are, are tougher. So yeah. uh, her name, just for everyone there, is, is Charlotte Wright. If you have a moment just to look her up, she's remarkable and terrific. And that's what I think our side is full of, is remarkable and terrific people. Yeah. And now that you're on this wonderful path, what, what gives you joy now? Now that Because <laughs> when you've looked death in the face, which you have, yes. what gives you joy? Oh, the cutest thing. So... Um, on the road a couple of days ago, I did, um, oh, I did yeah, never do a run without telling someone you did a run. No, but there's a point to the story. Um, I did the Manchester Marathon, but I did it in um, 
I did it in a top that lovely Mark, who's my husband, people know lovely Mark. And um, he did me a top that, that was in the colours of the main sponsor, which is the British Heart Foundation. And the British Heart Foundation has refused to acknowledge the situation with people's hearts after the vaccine state injectable. So I ran in British Heart Foundation colours, but my top said died suddenly in big letters. And I ran 26.2 miles in that top uh, and stopped uh, for press pictures at the British Heart Foundation stand. And the point of the story is not only were the, the crowd glorious, but as I came from the train station, going down the escalator, this lovely young guy and this sort of young guy, someone might have thought, oh, teenagers, hoodies. Oh. And he looked at the little lady who was a bit, bit wary of getting on the escalator. And he said, let me take your bag for you. Oh. So it's that. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. It's literally that moment. I'm like, that's that's it. That's a message. That's there's good. There's so much good. And I went up to him afterwards. I went, you just did. That was so lovely what you just did. It'll set me off any day of the week, that sort of thing. Just humans being glorious. And on that day of that run, 28,000 people running, usually individually, separately. And yet you looked at them all and someone went down, someone went over to help them up. Someone looked like they needed a drink. Someone would pass them a water. All anyone wanted of that 28,000 joined by you know, different religion, different views, vaccinated or not, this, that or not, whatever. All anyone wanted was everyone to get over the line. And when, sometimes you need to view humanity from a different perspective to see how glorious it is. And um, and that's what that afforded me. So that's where I find joy is just trying to get different perspectives and a little where I'm able to help other people see those different perspectives just to have some hope. Yeah, that's that's joy. I think the fight back is on. I really do feel that people are finding so their voices again. And the ULES zone. So for our New Zealand listeners, can you explain to people what the ULES zone is? Because I've got a funny oh. feeling the Londoners are not going to let this stand. <laughs> this is a glorious story. So if you were to draw in front of you right now, I'm going to do it as I say it. Two circles. So one smaller circle and then a bigger circle around it. Looks a little bit like a boob. So the nipple bit, that would be the inner London. And the Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, introduced an ultra low emission zone in that nipple bit. And you had to pay money if you go in the ultra low emission zone with the wrong kind of car. And the wrong kind of car is every single car that we own, apart from electric cars, of course, are perfect. What that little ridiculous London mayor, who I would hasten to add, is actually nipple height. And that's a height you should never be if you're a guy. Um, he's now gone to that second circle you drew, the wider circle. He's trying to make all of Greater London, like basically the bottom, you know, bottom right-hand corner of London, of the whole of the country. He's trying to make that whole area an, an ultra-low emission zone. He's trying to say, if you get in your car miles, miles from London, you have to pay him £12.50. And if you get into it at the end of your shift to go home, you have to pay him £12.50. So if you're a cleaner, you have to pay him £25 just to get inside your car and use it in a zone that he's just making up. He's putting up cameras all over the place. We know where this is headed. We know this is headed to a place where we no longer have the right to own a car. And the brilliant, brilliant British people, the fight back that you just spoke to, are going around and they are cutting the cameras. They are clipping the cameras. They've gone full on French. And it takes a lot for a British person to go French. They're putting bags over them. There's the ULES Blade Runners. 
And so what I did that went, um, it went a little bit crazy, but I did this video where I was pretending, well, I wasn't pretending to be an old lady because I am one, but I was just basically had this woolly hat and I was like, it is disgusting. This is vandalism. These people are vandalizing the Khan's property. It's just cameras and it's 669 for the foam filling at Tool Station. <laughs> and that's disgusting. And other people I hear do also supply that, but it's 669 and I am out and this thing went crazy. And a guy came up to me when I was doing the marathon. He was like, you're the 669 lady. And I said, sorry, pardon? And he was referring to the fact that I was heavily promoting this kind of concrete filler that you can fill the cameras with. And so what a glorious thing that ordinary Brits are going and just chopping these things down and saying, you know what? No, nah, we're not going to. We've got people walking through ULES now holding number plates to trick the cameras. I mean, it's a great, there's, there's comedy in there. There's humor in there. There's no intent to damage anything important. There's just, we don't want to be filmed and we don't want to pay you our money. And it's not about emissions. It's about your pockets. So that's what's going on. Um, and overall, you know, it is my prediction within the five years, we will not have the right to own a car in the UK. And I think you can take that to the bank. They're coming for our cars every single day here. Uh, and it's quite serious. You know, you just, you may have heard of the 15 minute cities. Yes, it's in Oxford. Is that right? Yes. You're, you're super smart. Yeah. Oxford divided like a clock into six chunks, like a, like if you do trivial pursuit, you know, there's little counters. All the pies with, the with your pie. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. essentially, Oxford becomes a pie. And let's say you're the, the blue bit of the pie, that little segment. You're only allowed to stay in your blue bit, you're not allowed to leave the blue bit. You'd have to ask for a permit to leave the blue bit and you're only allowed to use the permit 100 times a year at the moment. And if you want to cross over, you have to wait till it's not 7 to 7 p.m. And you can feel this idea that they just restrict you. So let's just say you're a mobile hairdresser. You're screwed because you can't get in your car and beaver to your different clients anymore. Because you're not well, allowed to. How, how would a tradesperson get on? I mean, you can't. I mean, if you were a trader and you lived in one piece of the pie and you needed to see someone in another piece of the pie, what do you say to them? Oh, look, I have to walk backwards and forwards to my van because I can't park my van outside your house because I'm in the wrong zone. Exactly. exactly. And Ridiculous. they're putting in bollards, this huge bollard. People can't even believe this story is true. And of course, they call it the stories of conspiracy theorists. They say, oh, it's just bus gates. It's just it's just helping to reduce congestion. But you know what's coming. Oh, and you know that that's what they practiced. It's the curve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know that's what they practiced in lockdown, which was mm. how do we stop people on the roads? And, and they're coming for it. But it's okay because we're calling it out and, all, you know, it's going to be all right. It is going to be. I am certain the light wins. I know that. And that isn't from fairy tales. That's not from the Bible. It's just the more things get dark, the lighter our side becomes. Well, the truth and, sets uh, you and free, doesn't it? it? So, Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, anytime you're feeling a bit like, oh God, this is the time to be alive. We were here for a reason. You know, if, if there was ever a ever years to live through, as hard as these are, as much as our food inflation is near 20%, these were the times. I'm certain of it. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And on that note, I love to thank you very much, Katie Hopkins. From the UK, this uh, here on Counterculture, if anyone wants to find you and follow you, they've listened to this and they're thinking, oh, yes. I like the sound of that bird. Where do I go to find her? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, anyone wants to come and find me, I have a special set of skills. <laughs> I will hunt you down. No. Um, so you can find me. Uh, this goes on a little bit, so maybe grab a pen. But if you imagine my name, Katie Hopkins, and then you just literally underscore everything, underscore Katie, underscore Hopkins, underscore. That's Instagram. Uh, if you put my name in, you'll see terrible things about an evil woman who's clearly not a Nazi Hitler Satan. That's also me, allegedly. And otherwise, yeah. So you'll find all of my stuff if you Google me or DuckDuckGo me. And I and I welcome you. I, particularly, we started with Katie's arm. So maybe that would be a good place to end. Eight o'clock UK time. I don't know what that is, New Zealand time. But um, that's live. So if you want to join in, bring a glass of wine or a coffee in the morning in New Zealand. Uh, join us for Katie's Arms and you'll see just how many uh, we are and how glorious our side is. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you to good people of New Zealand for being part of the fight back. Thank you to you, my love, for what you do and your team. And uh, and I look forward to speaking to you all again uh, very soon. Oh, we would absolutely adore that. So thank you so much. This is Counterculture with Marie. You're on Reality Check Radio. Disgusting. You know what these disgusting people are doing? It's vandalism. That's what it is. Vandalism. They are getting filling foam from places like Tool Station 669 and they are vandalising the cameras that the Mayor of London is trying to put up in order to police the ULEZ zone, the ultra low emission zone that he's planning to expand to, well, pretty much anywhere near the back arse end of London and beyond. People are vandalising his cameras. Certain places, every single camera that's been put up has been sprayed with this filling foam. 669 tool station and I think it's abhorrent you know just because just because you think you've got the freedom to drive your car <laughs> it's probably a diesel or a petrol car I mean you probably think that's okay not like me because I drive a Tesla just because you think you want to have the freedom to drive your car and you don't want to pay 25 pounds a day to do your job as a cleaner or maybe work for the NHS and just because maybe you disagree with the Muslim mayor of London, who's only four foot two and used to be a lawyer for Islamist terrorists. That does not give you the right to vandalise these cameras using filling foam from tool station at 669. It's despicable. You people need to be a lot more compliant. Go and hoist your NHS flag. Go and hoist your Ukraine flag. Make yourself smaller. Eat bugs. Do not drive your car. Be tiny. Do not fight for freedoms. Fight to be fight to be more compliant and smaller and more bitter. Be in the dark. Suck on a bug's ass. And stop spoiling these cameras by getting filling foam from places like Tool Station. Other retailers are available. 669. Terrible. You've been listening to Counterculture with Marie Busky. Reality Check Radio. Radio.